This is the tidbit brought to you by Curate, live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. I'm your host, Kim Bryden. So why the name tidbit? Well, each week we're going to drop little tidbits of information on how to start a business in DC and the Baltimore metro areas, including fun facts and trends about the food industry. In this show, well, it was inspired by a bi-weekly newsletter that I've been sending out to our community of over 300 small food and beverage businesses that we work with at Curate. So we're going to provide these tidbits of knowledge every other week on what we're reading, eating, drinking, listening to, and learning. And if you want in, you can subscribe at curateconnect.com to be in on that tidbit newsletter. That's C-U-R-E-A-T-E connect.com. So like I said, each week here, the Tidbit Podcast, we're going to discuss one of these new trending topics in the food industry and talk directly with small business owners from the D.C. and Baltimore metro areas. So today's Tidbit, I'm reading this headline from Fast Company. How two ex-Googlers want to make bodegas and mom and pop corner stores obsolete. Here's a snippet from the article written by Liz Sigron. I asked the co-founder point blank whether he's worried about the name Bodega might come off as culturally insensitive. Not really. I'm not particularly concerned about it, he says. We did surveys in the Latin American community to understand if they felt the name was a misappropriation of that term or had negative connotations, and 97% said no. But some members of the Hispanic community don't feel the same way. Take Frank Garcia, the chairman of the New York State Coalition of Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. He commented, We would ask our Hispanic community not to use the service because they are not really bodegas. Real bodegas are all about human relationships within a community, having someone you know greet you and make the sandwich you like. So what do you think about that? I mean, let's really think about this interesting time we live in where the term entrepreneur or Silicon Valley entrepreneur means something so different than a small business owner, although essentially the same thing. And, you know, being that we're in D.C., politicians often tout when arriving here, you know, small business is the backbone of the American economy. But really, I mean, what are we doing to help the mom and pop corner store owner? How do we make sure that they're thriving in in this new economy. So at Curate, my firm, our entire mission is to create access to new business opportunities so small businesses can survive and thrive. And over the past year, we've been working alongside the Latino Economic Development Center. Um, And they're an organization here in the district, but they also operate in Baltimore. And I'm very fond of them. Uh, They provide loans and technical assistance to small business owners And we've been in partnership working with corner store owners on Georgia Avenue, specifically in the Petworth neighborhood, on re-merchandising and rethinking these corner store operations 
and their product offerings for this new economy, which is vastly different from when these owner operators opened up 20 plus years ago. I mean, one of which that we've been working uh, together is a former 7-Eleven. Um, and so really rethinking what what does the corner store serve in the community today? And so we pose this question to the community via Prince of Petworth, a local blog. And the question is, what are you looking for from your local corner store? And what would make you frequent these locations instead of hopping in your car and driving to Walmart or Safeway? And you know, I can't help but think of the phrase that's ingrained in my brain, Main Street versus Wall Street. Um, I entered the job market during the 0809 financial collapse, which was awesome timing. Um, and when I hear headlines of today, you know, CVS buying Aetna, Disney buying 21st Century Fox, Amazon buying Whole Foods, I think, wow, really good that I paid attention in AP history class on vertical integration, but also that the big keep getting bigger. So, I mean, what do we do about that? What power do we have if we believe in Main Street, if we believe in the small business owner and this idea of the American dream? So that post on Prince of Petworth to date has over 50 comments already. And one of my favorites is from a neighbor named Navy Yard. They commented, I would absolutely love it if my corner store had a once a week feature of a crock pot recipe plus all of the ingredients for that recipe right there. Many people are looking for more easy meals to cook at home. And if all of the ingredients were conveniently located with arm's reach, I'd be there every single week. I think it could also foster community because people would start talking about whether or not they made last week's recipe. I love that idea, Navy Yard. And hilariously, another neighbor named DCD responded to that post and said, what a fantastic idea. In fact, that may be my favorite idea of 2017, other than impeachment, of course. <laughs> so what do you think about the future of corner stores? We want to hear from you. We're going to post show notes over on our blog at curate.co slash blog. That's C-U-R-E-A-T-E dot co slash blog. And you can read all of the articles we've mentioned. And after the break, we are going to sit down and discuss the importance of Main Street and how to build community-based businesses with our guest, Paul Rupert. This is Kim Bryden live at the Lion Hotel. We'll be back in a few. Today's break song is called Utopia by Flash Frequency, local artist. For more on him, flashfrequency.bandcamp.com. We'll be right back on the tidbit.
Hi, Paul. Thanks Good. for being here as one of our first guests. Good morning, Kim. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, I just want to first say that we've known each other maybe, I think it's almost eight years now. You're making me feel old. No. <laughs> Which is wild. I was just rec- recalling uh, you know, how much the city has even changed in these past eight years. And when we first met, I was working at the Alcoholic Beverage Regulation Administration. Yes, I remember it well. What a time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'm sure many D.C. residents and beyond have frequented your establishments, but I'm wondering if you could tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and your family's longstanding history in the district. Sure. I, uh, my family's been around D.C. for a long time. I'm a sixth-generation Washingtonian. And I've been active in various business efforts since the early 90s uh, when my family and I opened a restaurant called Rupert's Restaurant down on 7th Street across from what is now the convention center, but was at that point a, a big vacant parking lot. And since that time, I've been involved with an, a number of projects, lots of uh, restaurants, retail, arts, uh, real estate so lots of different things in my in my background. I mean, it's incredible the amount of communities you've been able to uh, enter into and sort of activate this food beverage culture in so many different corridors of our city. And and I just want to say you've really been a pioneer in identifying and building, like I said, these neighborhood corridors. And you know, like you just mentioned, near the convention center with the passenger all the way, you know, and the warehouse theater. Can't forget that. And heading north to Columbia Heights and Petworth with Room 11 and Petworth Citizen and Upshur Street Books. And then traveling south to Anacostia. You're a board member for the Anacostia Playhouse. It's incredible. And so I would just love to talk with you more about What are these core tenets of identifying space to open a business? Because you've really been a champion in being able to see the emergence of a community before anybody else is even there. I mean, or, you know, the the Main Street establishments are just starting to pop up. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at the neighborhoods in Washington and how they've changed over the last 10 years or 20 years. And it's been an exciting time. When I'm looking to do projects, um, it, they really are neighborhood-based. And so I spend a lot of time traveling all over the city and looking at opportunities, looking at buildings, looking at neighborhoods. And um, obviously, I only do a few of the projects that, that, I, that, are, that are put before us. But I look at several different things when I'm looking at, at these projects. And one is I look at the neighborhood and... and you know, the, the, the notion of being a pioneer, I don't consider myself a pioneer. I actually consider myself someone who brings something to a neighborhood that fits in that neighborhood and that understands what's going on in the history of that neighborhood and where that neighborhood might be moving. And so as I've looked at Columbia Heights and Petworth and uh, other spots, it's been uh, really a question of, of finding what those neighborhoods need and what they want, what the residents want, and trying to respond to that need. And so that's really been central to what I've done over the years is partnering with people who are 
passionate and hardworking and and have great experience and developing these different projects that really fill a need in the community. I love it. It's very much user-centered design. Exactly. You know, and and we have these ideas when we open our spots. uh, We we have very firm ideas about what they're going to be and how they're going to how they're going to be successful but it's it's actually a little bit of a humbling process because when we open those uh, restaurants or retail or, or what have you it's really the customers who tell us what what they want and so um, I've have have had my ego taken down a few pegs at various times in my career when I've I've thought you know, various things would be successful and, and the customers have said, no, we don't want that. We want something else. And so that's a big part of being a small business person, entrepreneur is to being, being able to have a clear idea of what you want to achieve, but also to be flexible, to change that idea in ways that might, um, match the market. Absolutely. I, at the top of this show, I was talking about mom and pop corner store owners Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. they need to change their operations, you know, they opened 20 plus years ago. And so what purpose does the corner store serve in this new economy? And I think that's a really great point that you have to have this resiliency and iteration knowing the new market trends. That's right. That's right. I mean, DC and every city, well, I love cities because they do change. And and there's a lot that's sad about that change when when things that you love go away but there's a, there's an energizing component to it which which that change brings with new people and i think that's one of the things that's um exciting about some of the neighborhoods that i work in for instance petworth which is really this great mix of people who have been there a long time generations combined with people who are new to the neighborhood who bring this new vitality and energy to it and so it's this history with something new that makes for cities and and Petworth in particular to be an exciting place to be. I was trying to think about other intergenerational family businesses, especially in the food and beverage space. Um, Around the corner from where we are right now, the Popal family Mm -hmm. um, with Lapis and now their new La Pop space. Uh, Shout out to them. Are there any other longstanding intergenerational family businesses you like to commend well of course there's the Ali's who have Ben's Chili Bowl which yes. is and and the various spin-offs from that um, you know the the multi-generational component of restaurants it's changed a little bit over the last uh, like many things over the last 10 or 20 years in that it's I haven't thought too deeply about that is that but it's actually more difficult to pass these things on generation to generation now than it was before. Mm. I think that has probably something to do with uh, mobility in that opportunities present themselves to children of first, you know, of, of entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. they, the expectations aren't there necessarily for all of them to follow in their parents' footsteps. Right. But clearly there are uh, numbers of businesses that are, that are handed down from generation to generation both in the restaurant world and in other spots too. You know, real estate is is well known for that, for having multi-generational companies. Yeah, I was just, uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the the gentlemen, the co-owners of Indique and how their sons just open up Rasa in That's Navy right. Yard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's delicious. Have you been? I haven't had a chance to go oh, yet. Oh, it's amazing. Shout it's out all, to Rasa. It's on my list. <laughs> yeah. 
my, and, very, my very long list of places to go. I know this town's a buzzing. <laughs> and I mean, that's another good point I wanted to bring up. Like I said, we've known each other about eight years. And I think even in the past eight years, we've seen this sort of renaissance of types of businesses and types of business owners opening up establishments here. Anything you can comment on, on either food or beverage or even on the culture front, you know, you're very involved in the art scene. Yeah, I think that um, I think that entrepreneurs always have kind of a through line, whether it's now or a hundred years ago, or probably even a thousand years ago. These are these are adventurous people who see a need that they can fit. There's also a component of they don't want to have a boss, so that's a big part of it. So oh they're, yeah, they're looking to be out on their own, and they're looking to make a difference. And so, whether that's 2017 or 1950, I think that. Um, you know, people that there's a a, a, con, a a continuation there for people who are entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Entrepreneur myself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, I mean, that's incredible. Thank you for your, you know, vision and digest of what this city and region is, has been and is becoming um, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and hear your three tips for success for budding entrepreneurs. Sounds good. Thanks. And this next, the next break song here is called Water World by Flash Frequency. This is Full Service Radio. You're listening to the tidbit. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Thanks for being here, Paul. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. <laughs> so we were talking about your family's longstanding history here in the district and that you've opened many food and beverage establishments, but also locations like Upshur Street Books that are not food and beverage centric, but very community based businesses. Um, and the other hat you wear is that you are a real estate professional. That's right. And so I would love to know, and I'm sure our community would love to know, what are you looking for from a, from a potential tenant? And do you have three tips for emerging entrepreneurs as to how they can build the best foundation for success? So when I'm working with folks who are, who are interested in having a business and they're looking for real estate, I'm, I'm looking for a few different things. Obviously, 
doing a small business, there are a million and one things that go into it, but I'm looking for a couple things right off the bat. First is some kind of evidence of financial resources. So some kind of evidence that, that the folks that I'm talking to have the money or have access to that money that they're going to need in order to make it a successful venture. The second thing that I look for is experience. So I'm looking for their experience and, and what they have achieved in their career and whether they can you know, make this next step. And then I'm looking for the story. I'm looking for the story of what the business is. And it has to be a credible story in the sense that it has to make sense to me that it will be successful in that spot and that it's something that the neighborhood needs and would support. Or if it's not a neighborhood-focused venture, that it's something that would be able to attract people from further afield. Have you heard of Simon Sinek, Start With Why? This principle? It's, It's called the Golden Circle. And the premise is that all of your business ventures should start with a why. And the example he provides is um, with Apple, you know, why is that there's this creativity, this Mm -hmm. unique user experience, and then it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a phone, it could be a laptop. It doesn't matter the what. Sure. Because you've bought into the why. Mm -hmm. Whereas Samsung, you're like, Samsung, it's a phone. Right. (laughs) And so I, I totally agree with you that being able to have that defined why and story, I mean, it has to be there. There has to be that deep seated, you know, fire within your belly, heart center. And I think that's a great way to put it. I think that that's critical for the success of, of a business, but it's also critically important because the competition is cutthroat right now. And if you don't have a story, if you don't have a reason to be, to be there, then, uh, then you won't stand out from the crowd and you won't be able to attract uh, so many people. I think that one of the big changes in Washington over the past few years is the, the huge explosion in the number of spots that are you know, not just restaurants, but we have the, the same in grocery stores. And so the competitive landscape has, has shifted tremendously. And, and if you're going to be successful, you have to be able to navigate that and to have a story that sets you apart from your competition. And how grocery stores are becoming grocerants. That's right. You know, they <laughs> offer all these different things. You know, I, I uh-huh. go to grocery stores and I have meetings in them in their, in their cafe areas. You know, they've, they've replaced the, they haven't replaced Starbucks, but they've, you know, supplemented the Starbucks. Right. And I mean, with the influx of even, we were mentioning earlier, the big getting bigger, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, if, if now we have Blue Apron coming in and providing a meal service, what does then that do to dining out? So there's so many other components other than just your competition who's next door. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's yep. this whole ecosystem of how people can spend their money. Yeah, it's, a, it's really 360 degrees. So you have to look everywhere to, to figure out where your competition is. And the same goes for where your customers are coming from, right? So as small businesses, we don't necessarily have to say, okay, we can only get people from around the block or in the a mile that surrounds our business. We can expand beyond that. We can look at other opportunities. And for many businesses, that's um, that extra jolt of income that might come from a second or a third kind of line of business really is is instrumental, is is uh, critical in in the difference between making money and losing money. Yeah. I well I 
I've been thinking about Amazon buying Whole Foods, of course, mm-hmm. and thinking about what Amazon did to bookstores. <laughs> you know, it, that it's sort of like mega core bookstore, but now there's this resurgence of independent smaller bookstores. So this middle tier of Barnes and Noble, Borders, maybe they've gone away. Yeah, it's been very interesting to to, to follow that that the. Barnes and Noble and Bethesda, for instance, is closed, and that was you know they must have grossed millions of dollars a year, and and it wasn't uh, you know renewing their lease. I don't know the particulars, but they decided not to not to continue there. And a, a new Amazon bookstore will be I don't know I don't think it's going in that specific place, but it's going into Bethesda, someplace near there. Whoa. And so the you know the resurgence of smaller bookstores has been. Uh, an exciting thing to be a part of and you know they're popping up all over the place now yeah absolutely well I, I sort of derailed you from your tips so oh, yes. <laughs> so the other the other three things that I kind of jotted down before coming in here is that it's um, you know it's really developing that story and I touched on this earlier so it's it's having a story and it's and the way that I suggest to people is, is trying to tell that story to as many people as possible. Many people, when they're first starting out, are, are worried that someone's going to steal their idea. Right. And I have to say that no one's going to steal your idea because they've already stolen it. Because there's, <laughs> there's no new idea under the sun. It's really how do, we, how do we approach that idea that makes it interesting and different. And so I encourage people to tell as many people as possible about their idea. So not only can you generate interest and support from people who are in your network or outside of your network, but you also refine your, your pitch. And as you're telling people, you can, you know, you can read their response and get their reaction. And then the next time you, you shift a little bit and you emphasize something else, de-emphasize something and then and then it gets to be a better thing and then you know what you're doing is you're turning all these people into your allies and into your supporters and so that's one thing we did at the bookstore upshire street books when we first started we did a kickstarter campaign and we did that to raise money we raised about twenty thousand dollars in that campaign but we also did it to to create a core of of support to, to have this platform where we could reach out to people and and invite people to participate in a small level in the birth of a bookstore. And that's, uh, that's, that's so important. Yeah. Indispensable. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's the beginning of your brand loyalists. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think people don't put enough, uh, people can not put enough intention or, or thoughtfulness into that sort of pre launch, community building that's right and 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 what's great about doing that is that that helps you refine your ideas and um you know i've i have a million and one ideas you know and 99 percent of them are not the best ideas and and but the only way i get through them is by telling them people and then seeing their reaction and i have a whole team of people who i work with and i also have a whole people of of the whole group of like unofficial advisors in a sense, right? That I'll call up and I'll say, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this project or I'm working on this project. And, you know, they'll tell me that's, you know, that's a dumb idea or that, you know, that idea would only work if you, if you did X, Y, and Z. So, um, it, for me, it's been, you know, critically important. 
Yeah. And in email marketing, there's a term A-B testing, right? like mm-hmm. your subject lines or buttons, click through rates. Um, but very much so you're like A-B testing your pitch. It's like how you've given this one sort of version, but then you're tweaking it ever so slightly That's as right. you go. Yep. I love mm-hmm. that. Any other wise words before we close out? I think the other thing that I tell people is to match the, this is an architectural kind of tip to match your business with the architecture of the building and the architecture of the neighborhood, the kind of construction of the neighborhood. Not every business works in every building. And so a lot of how we approach our projects is um, if if there's a building that's of interest to us, that's available or for rent or, or for purchase, we look at that building and rather than saying, I want to put X in that building, what we say is, what does this building want to be? What does it need to be? What, does the, what do the neighbors want here? What is the building calling out to be? And, um, you know, a corner building is completely different from an interior block building. For instance, you know, the, light, the lighting is different. A three-story building or a multi-story building is different from a one-story building that has a skylight or has a roof deck. And so really that's, I think, um, you know, advice that I've tried to follow and, and try to give to people is that, you know, don't fight with your building, but put something into that building that makes sense. Because if there's a disconnect, your customers will come in and, and they'll scratch their heads and they'll, the, they won't be able to pinpoint what's wrong, but it's, but it'll be that, that something's off somewhere. The feeling is off. The feeling's the, off. The soul of the place hasn't a truly found itself yeah it's it's the, there's a disconnect between what the business is and what what the building is saying about it oh, that's amazing sense of place so important yes and and how we we're saying this historical through line of you know what that place was and what it could be but really tapping into that cultural thread that's right the the building that we have in Petworth that has Slim's Diner in it, that was built in the 1890s. And w- one of the earliest people that were in there was the Petworth Pharmacy. And they actually had a uh, a diner counter in there as, as well at one point. And so when we went in there, we saw this great corner building with the big open windows. And we said, you know, this really deserves to be a daytime business, some kind of a, some kind of a business that's open during the day to take advantage of this great light. And, you know, a community asset like a diner just really seemed to, to jump out at us. And so that was part of the process of moving forward with that project. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom and insight We're really grateful to have you. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be on. (laughs) Well, in closing, I I just want to say thank you all for listening to this first episode. And we are making sure that this podcast is made possible by supporters like you, especially because we are midway through the show. We are featuring three entrepreneurs and their projects to be granted funds raised through this podcast. So you will get to vote on which project receives those funds. So consider making a monthly donation on our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash the tidbit and become our coffee friend. So it'll be the amount of donating around two cups of coffee each month. And so 
Yes, you heard right. You get to vote on which project receives the funds, and you have the power to put your dollars straight into the local economy. So join us. Head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the tidbit. Until next time, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. I'm Kim Bryden. This week's intro music was by Rectech, break songs by Flash Frequency. Again, The Tidbit is a program on full-service radio, which broadcasts every Tuesday live at 11 a.m. and available archived on fullserviceradio.org. All full-service radio programs broadcast live from the Line Hotel in beautiful Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., 1770 Euclid Street, Northwest, Until next time, thanks for listening.